0: Landmine Radio, Landmine Radio, high energy, no filter, oh yeah. This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Guido's Pizza. Located on International Airport Road in Anchorage, Guido's has been serving the best pizza, pasta, sandwiches, and more since 1984. Guido's is open daily for dine-in service from 11 a.m. to midnight, and they do takeout and delivery until 2 a.m. Whether I'm dining in a Guido's or ordering for delivery, the hardest part for me is always choosing what to get because they have so many amazing items on their menu. If you're looking for a quick bite or want to order food for a big party, Guido's is the place to go. Tell them Jeff from the Landmine sent you. Okay, very excited to be back here in studio with uh, Bill Pop, uh, new Anchorage, Merrill Kent. How you, do, how you doing, Bill? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Very excited to talk to you. It's um, going to be a lot of fun. I want to talk about your race, but first I want to kind of go back. I didn't realize this I was reading up on you. You were mm-hmm. actually on the Kenai Borough assembly. So tell me a little bit about kind of your background and why, how you got, I know you grew up in Anchorage, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I grew up here in Anchorage, moved, moved to Anchorage when I was eight years old. My dad was Air Force and he got transferred up here after he did a year out of King Salmon. And so we drove up in the dead of winter from Phoenix, Arizona, which was a little bit of a shock, but
0: um, I always tell people I moved here in August of 04. Yeah. I always say, if you're going to move or move in the, in the winter, cause then you can see how good it gets. If you come in the summer, you're like, wow, this is great. Yeah. And then it gets real cold and, you know, (laughs) snowy and dark, long days.
1: We learned that when it was uh, 65 degrees below zero in Fort Nelson. And that was back when you had to have the milepost to make the highway journey alive because you didn't know what gas stations were going to be open. You didn't know where you were going to be able to get food and so, yeah, we drove up in uh, my dad's brand-new regular cab Chevy pickup with a shell on the back and all of our worldly goods, and we drove up with Mom on one side, me in the middle, or switching out because those weren't insulated trucks back then, so there was, like, frost on the inside of the metal what year was?
0: What year was that? 68. Oh, so this, this is, like, was, before but, oil yeah. and this before... Is, well,
1: this is winter of 67, December of 67. We arrived in Anchorage on January the 2nd, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning. We were coming up the old Glen Highway, which was a two-lane road up out of the eagle river up from the eagle river bridge which was a two-lane bridge came up over the hills. saw the lights of what we thought was anchorage but it was actually the fort rich um, runway and it was ice fog, and it was 25 below. And I remember my mother very distinctly looking over at my father saying, Ken, what the hell have you gotten us into?
0: Yeah. And,
1: then, no and shit. But then we had that most glorious summer that you could ever ask for. It was just brilliant, and we fell in love with the state. And then the Air Force took us to California for two years, um, three years after that. And we couldn't get back uh, fast enough.
0: And my So, bro- so you were here, like, right, I mean, not 10 years after statehood. Right. So I can't even imagine it. I've read a lot of books about Anchorage back then, but I mean, just entirely different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been nonstop Alaskan since 1972. And my wife and I got married. She went to service. I went to East. Um, She graduated in 78. We got married in 79. And we've had two kids. We moved to the peninsula in 83. Um, I was working for Safeway at the time. And they wanted me to go down and help with the management team down there and open the store and that turned into a 25-year journey. We went down there, you know, Anchorage in the, you know, 83 was not exactly, was the big boom from all the oil money being mm-hmm. spent by the legislature because the oil industry was doing well, but it wasn't, you know, what it was during the pipeline days. And it was the big spending boom that came from the state treasury going from $775 million in 1975 in terms of general fund revenues to $3.1 billion in 1981. I
0: mean, looking back, I've talked about this in, in like, modern terms, when you look at the, the, the first lease sale, mm-hmm. was 900 million, right. the budget that year was 100 million. Right. So I, I compare it to like, it's the equivalent of like of like a $50 billion windfall today. Pretty much, pretty much it was, you some, know, some crazy amount of money. I mean, it's just almost unfathomable to think about.
1: Early 80s was the biggest drunken spending spree in state history, in my opinion, in terms of the way government spent money back then. You could put a project on the back of a bar napkin and hand it to a legislator and it likely would get funded.
0: I mean, yeah. I've heard even, and I've heard story even more recently back in 2000, kind of nine, eight, nine, when the price mm-hmm. of oil went really high, mm-hmm. I've had staffers tell me that, you know, one, one got a call from somebody about some nonprofit and, you know, they just took the call and they wrote it down and it was like TBD because they didn't, they just said, tell your boss and blah, and forgot about it. And then a few months later in the capital, in the bu- capital report, they saw that it was like 50,000, wasn't mm-hmm. a great deal of money, but still they saw it in the budget at TBD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because that was when the windfall was so much, right? The price was one fifty, and that was when they did the bonus dividend. Yeah. But same kind of mentality where, you know, it's just like the money's there and everybody wants something, so everybody gets something because everybody agrees. Early 80s was nuts. I mean, you know, right now we're
1: building maybe 400 units of housing a year. That's, that's where the numbers are at right now in Anchorage. In the early 80s, we were building 10,000 units of housing a year. Wow. Um, that was apartments. That was single-family homes. And then the big bust in the 80s when mm-hmm. oil went down and then the savings and loan uh, system nationally collapsed.
0: Well, I, I was reading a while, a while back in, um, I think it's Extreme Conditions, you know, John mm-hmm. Strohmeyer, he was right. up here. Mm-hmm. The Pulitzer, So a lot, part of that book talked about these, because um, housing was such an issue, mm-hmm. they finally changed where the banks could finance like trailers. Yep. But but you didn't own the land, and that became another bubble. Yep. Um, with yep. these like, por- you know, portable houses, that there was another huge kind of There were
1: fortunes made in the sale of mobile homes in in Alaska in that period of time. It was amazing. Um, There are any number of entities, you know, that's why we've got all these legacy trailer courts. Once they stop Mm -hmm. that financing model, uh, other than self-financed by developers, which we don't have, um, then we just basically stop seeing new, uh, you know, now manufactured homes.
0: There was a guy in the book, and I forget his name, but he had had like a friend or he had some connection to a legislator, and Mm -hmm. they like passed a... Cause you couldn't get like loans for those historically. Right. And they passed like a bill. Cause it had wheels. To, 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 to allow for the financing, right. like a house. And um, a lot of people, you know, ended up, I mean, some people I'm sure made a lot selling them, but a lot of people lost a lot buying them. Oh, people lost a lot buying them. There was a lot of housing inflation back then. I remember we, we bought a
1: condo. We, we bought a trailer when we first got married. We lived over off of Brayton and we lived there for about two years. And then, we finally scraped together a down payment and we dropped it on a condo right over off of um right next to the old aliaska pipeline building um dropping the name of the town uh, over oh, yeah no yeah. Not, right off of berga okay over in russian jack and we we bought it for about 40 grand and then about three years later we were uh, i was offered the position uh, down in soldatna and we sold it for 80.
0: Wow. It so you double your money?
1: Pretty much. Yeah, it was nuts.
0: What, 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 what was it at in the late 80s or after the crash? Uh, probably? About, uh, we heard that it got sold at
1: auction for 20.
0: Oh, my. I was just telling, yeah. um, I was the podcast with Rick, Reed, Rick Green earlier, and we were talking about this guy I rented I, before I bought my condo mm-hmm. over on Sylvan off Old Seward. This guy yeah. I had rented from years ago when I was in school and uh, college. He had 15 of these units. And I was like, how did you get 50? He's an old math teacher, retired. And he bought them all in like the mid late eighties, for like thirty grand a piece. Yep, there and were, they're nice condos. I mean, they're yeah, worth now one hundred and fifty to maybe two hundred. Yeah. And he rented these things for for decades, and that was his like income. And now it's his re- that was his
1: retirement. You know, people don't remember that in nineteen eighty six and nineteen eighty seven when the bust happened. You know, people were pitching keys in the front door and just leaving. You know, just walking away. You know, strategic uh, foreclosure in effect, just left, left Anchorage, left Alaska. And we had averaged just shy of 8,000 foreclosures a year for two years. It was just crazy. Yeah, Yeah, it's, you know, the the recession that we had in the 80s was something. Nothing on a scale of job losses that we had here with with COVID and the recession that happened before that. Um, What was the key
0: night? Was it um, a little different or was it Kenai wasn't as bad. Kenai was small.
1: It wasn't overbuilt like Anchorage was. Anchorage was kind of ground zero, and then Fairbanks, and then to a lesser degree, Juneau, um, but, and, and maybe a little bit in Palmer. But Anchorage was, was ground zero for most of that bust. Um, Kenai Peninsula had its problems. It had its issues. The housing market did slow down quite a bit. But it, it was more at that time still pretty much tourism and oil and gas. Um, oil and gas was... Still fairly important. Down was, there. was
0: there? I don't. I don't know. This was there still a lot of gas produced back then for kind of like all and star, star gas. Like you know, the
1: all p- the gas was produced from Cook Inlet. So that was still. Uh, that was still going you know, on. That was a big deal back then. We still had the Agrium plant down on the peninsula. Oh, right, uh, yeah. In that time frame, eighty-three to uh, late uh, mid two thousands. It closed in the first part of the two thousands. Uh, That was big for the
0: economy down there, the agrium plant, wasn't it? It was.
1: It It was uh, several hundred jobs and the second largest uh, uh, urea producer in North America uh, for export. It was 2.5 million metric tons of nitrogen products getting shipped out of the state every year.
0: So you thought you were going down there for a few years? Uh, went the down the there. We, we thought it might be, you know,
1: maybe 10 years maybe at most. You know, we went down there partly because Anchorage was just not as nice a town as we remember, remembered it as when we were kids. And we wanted to give our kids a little bit more of a small town um, opportunity to grow up in, um, at least at the beginning. And yeah, it did turn into 25 years. We ended up spending 25 years down and uh, living in Kenai and then working in either Saldat or Kenai.
0: So at what point did you decide, you know, why did you decide to run for the Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly? Um, You know, it
1: was, I was encouraged by friends to do it. I had, you know, just a lot of interest in what was going on in local politics and ran um, in 96 and won. Uh, It was a... First time? uh, First time. That's uh, rare. Most people don't don't well, get the first. Time. I'd like to say it was an easy win, but I've tried before it, a couple times. <laughs> it, it was actually a runoff and a twelve vote win. Oh, um, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was contested because they were upset and they were hoping that you know that they could split flip those twelve votes. Did it take and,
0: like a long time to recount and all that? It,
1: it took about a month. It took about a month after the uh, general was. See, doing.
0: I've I've always said if if I, I've lost I've run before I've lost I don't mind losing. Mm-hmm. I, I never want to lose by a few votes. Like yeah. Enough where you can like if the other guy who you know you could spend a few more days knocking yeah. doors or make a few more phone calls or something, you know, it's like, that's these close races. Like we saw this last time here in legislative, right? I mean, I think Tom McKay mm-hmm. won by like seven votes. Yep. yep. Which, which I know is, that feeling, which
1: is like, <laughs> that's close.
0: It's way and too then, close.
1: And then the second election, it was the, my, it was the same opponent and myself. And in that one, I, I won closer to, I think it was high fifties at that point. And then third election, I was unopposed.
0: So Those three-year terms, three-year terms down there, and you were chair
1: for um, two thousand. I was chair of the assembly, um, held all the vice chair and all the major committee chairmanships, and um, really enjoyed my time on that assembly. It was definitely a split assembly. We had different points of view. We had very conservative voices. We had very moderate voices. We even had one or two fairly progressive voices for that point in time. Mm-hmm. And yet we always managed to figure it out. We'd have our moments in time where we just got pretty upset with each other, but it always kind of got set aside once the meeting was done. We, you know, we would we would talk and I mean we just figured to, it out.
0: To speak a little more kind of broadly, I just today, just a few hours ago, the Speaker McCarthy got ousted mm-hmm. and we see what happens in Juneau and how contentious stuff gets. I mean, sure. do you feel, I mean, do you feel like things have really changed a lot? Because oh, yeah. I, I read a lot about sixties and seventy, you know, about Nixon time and and there was still pretty like contentious yeah issues and in, in, in politics back then. But now it just I don't know, I maybe I'm it's imagining it, but it just seems kind of war, like you mentioned that you had different opinions and different, you know, political ideas, but mm-hmm. when you were in the Kenyan assembly, but it didn't Even the Anchorage Assembly, we'll talk about that later, how contentious that's gotten over the last few years. It it
1: didn't end the world down there. And, you know, even I and then when I got hired away, um, you know, when I was offered the position to be a staffer for Mayor Bagley, you know, Dale and I were were political opponents on the assembly uh, on a lot of different issues. But Dale chose to bring me on board his team to focus on oil and gas issues because I had done a lot of work on the assembly on different oil and gas issues. And it had a lot of interest in what was going on in that field and had been doing a lot of work um, in my nonprofit job over at uh, the Challenger Learning Center. I was the uh, project coordinator on that project and raised the $2.5 million for that facility and helped to oversee the construction and oversee the programming um, setup to get it up and running in 2000. And then I went to work, I went the exact opposite direction and went back into the for-profit world and sold commercial truck over at Kenai Chrysler Center. Um, because I knew the oil patch so well, and I, I just you, you got to be a student of the customer. Mm-hmm. So you got to understand I, what's driving their trends and what's driving their business and what their needs are going to be, and that helps you to understand policy issues. And Dale made me an offer to come work for him and work on oil and gas policy for the Kenai Peninsula Borough Administration.
0: Yeah, when I first uh, moved here, I sold cars at Cal Worthington Ford for a year. It was my first kind of. Well, I actually delivered pizza for Uncle Joe's for a little bit. And then I got the Cal job, and I did that for about a year and. I was 19, I was 20, mm-hmm. and I was making, like, I was pretty good car sales. I was making, like, a lot of money for being 20 and up here and not having any bills. You can make a lot of money in the car business. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd sell
1: retail on the side, but the one thing about it is is that it's a six- to seven-day-a-week job if you're in it to win it. And, and if you
0: don't sell, you know, if you go three or four days, five days without selling a car, you're you're you are here you get into it. that rut. You're here. You about You get pressure because you don't get, yeah. it's, like, technically, I th- I'm sure it's still the same way. Technically, they pay you a minimum wage, but if you don't sell cars, if you don't, Sell a car, in I mean, in a few weeks, you're not going to be working probably.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it was a good job. I loved everything that Bob Favretto, the owner, did for me. Um, really enjoyed working with Dwayne Bannock, uh, who was the sales manager at that time for Kenai Chrysler. Is he the guy on the radio? Yep. Oh, the the yeah, yeah. Uh, I call yes, up, they, sir,
0: they they asked me to call in sometimes. Yeah, sound off to the sound off. Yeah, mm-hmm. I call into their mm-hmm. show once in a while when they yep. do. A, I'll do a story or something that asked
1: me to call in. Dwayne's an old friend. And um, I I really enjoyed that part of my professional career down there.
0: So did you leave the assembly to go to work for the mayor? Yes, I did.
1: So you weren't termed out? You just got the... No, Dale made me an offer. He wanted to fill the position. He wanted to get somebody on it. And it was just good timing. I was near the end of the term.
0: Now, Kenai and Anchorage, so they have the borough deal. But then like Kenai and Soldatin each have their own assemblies. Kind of like in the
1: valley where you have the... city councils. City councils and they're 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 organized uh, uh, cities. You know, Kenai is a home rule city. I believe Soldotna is a second class. Uh, it probably isn't anymore. I should be careful about that. But Soldotna was a city of its own, as is Homer, as is Seward. So the borough was responsible for everything outside the city limits of Soldotna, Kenai, Homer, and Seward. And we were a second class borough, so we did education, uh, we did um, uh, land use planning. We did uh, solid waste issues and then we had healthcare service areas. So we had, you know, fair amount of responsibility. So kind of like
0: Matsuborough where you have mm-hmm. Wasilla, Sutton, Palmer, right. and all Exactly. Those big, like mm-hmm. so why I mean, I know Anchorage voted in the seventies to do this deal where we're kind of different, like unlike mm-hmm. Fairbanks or the Valley we have just one system.
1: We are a home rule city. We merged the borough and the city together back in the '70s, and George Sullivan was our first mayor as an, as an organized, combined uh, community.
0: Do you know the history. I don't really know. I know that happened. Was there what was it? was some like push for that or? I think was, Mike Gordon was. He's in the, been on the podcast. He was in the assembly back then, the, the old assembly.
1: So I don't remember all the details, but I do know that there was uh, issues related to the desire for more services in the areas outside of the core city um people wanted better roads they wanted more you know police service was another issue fire service was another issue and it ultimately ended up being a, a unified city based on a vote of the people
0: i think a lot of people don't realize anchorage is one of the biggest by land cities in the country yeah i mean it's like goes if you think about girdwood all the way to you know eagle past eagle river and yep it's a huge oh past peters of,
1: creek it's it's out it's out there uh, right at the Chuk- yeah, yeah. Yeah. huge mm-hmm.
0: amount of i think sitka too is another one of those where they have a ton mm-hmm. of land but yep just a huge amount of land
1: a lot of land, a lot of mountains make up that land, you know, so we're a little bit land poor in terms of buildable dirt uh, in some parts of the city, especially the Anchorage Bowl. Girdwood ha- has a bit of a challenge, too, uh, in terms of what's available to them to develop on. Do you, do you
0: think there's any, you know, this whole thing with like Colton Hills, or was this housing issue mm-hmm. recently, and then you have the Eagle River, you have a few people who want to, like, mm-hmm. there seems to be some tension a little bit on, like the, extre- like, the Eagle River side and then the Girdwood. Is that a real thing, or is that just a few loud kind of voices that...
1: I think there are people who who are not happy with the current situation and want to try and convince their neighbors that there's a better way to do it. And I think that the process that's being done on Eagle Exit, we'll see what it ultimately ends up being. You know, the Boundaries Commission's got a rule on that. Um, At this point, the process should go forward and the opportunity to have the discussion within the community. Um, I think where the rubber's going to hit the road is what the ultimate cost of services are going to be out there that people are currently Mm -hmm. enjoying. Um, that they may have to make a decision on and so what I, they want to give up.
0: I've seen estimates where they pay more mm-hmm. money. In ta- and I didn't even know about this boundary commission thing. I, I started looking into this yeah. when this started, and I said, how does this even work? And right. there's a state boundary commission that has to first, before anything happens, they have to agree right. to a boundary change. So they right. can't even do it without this commission uh, approving it. And then there's a vote, I think, of all the people who live there. And yep. And so, then there's
1: also the sorting out of repayment to the broader Anchorage tax base of any bonded indebtedness or assets that would become, you know, that the, if, if there were a new city of Eagle River, a uh, new town of Eagle River, um, that currently belong to all of the voters, all of the citizens of Anchorage, where there would have to be some form of repayment plan put in place so that they can keep those assets and that the city, the citizens of Anchorage are uh, made whole in I mean, terms of the investment that they've made.
0: It'd be ironic if that happened and they, and they ended up having to like pay more, ta- you know, the it, property tax. Thing. You know,
1: these are not easy. These are not, you know, and I don't know the numbers and I haven't looked at the numbers for Eagle River specifically, but I've seen this conversation before. There was a period of time when I was in the mayor's office in the Kenai Peninsula Borough where Homer was talking about wanting to secede from the Kenai Peninsula Borough and set it mm-hmm. set up its own borough we helped them to do some basic preliminary numbers and that conversation got real quiet real quick because their mill rate would have gone up dramatically
0: yeah i mean i've seen some stuff which shows that that might be the case
1: but eagle river is a larger population base you know bigger footprint in terms of what they're trying to put together and that'll be an ultimate discussion between the city of anchorage and the boundaries commission if it and and the proponents of this if it does reach that stage but um, yeah, it, we're, we're a long way away from that being a, a significant issue until we start to see some traction within the Boundaries Commission.
0: Well, let's talk about, I think for most people who know you, myself mm-hmm. included, I first got to know you when you were the head of AEDC, Anchorage mm-hmm. Economic Development Corporation. You were there for 17 years, right? Almost,
1: almost 16 and a half years. That's what brought me back to Anchorage. They, so, they chased me down. They had my predecessor hunt me down and get me to apply. And... I'd just come off of doing the uh, Arctic Winter Games uh, on the Kenai Peninsula as a member of the uh, leadership committee down there and uh, organizing committee. And I was revenue chair and I was responsible for raising eight and a half million dollars for those games. Those are coming
0: up next year too, right? In the, um, in in the, the Valley. Valley. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I've talked to the folks in the Valley, um, just, you know, a little bit of history advice. Um, you know, it's just one conversation, but you know, I'm wishing them well because it's a great experience. Um, you, you, as a host committee, it's exhausting and you're glad you're done when you're done. But the thrill of that, that 10 days or so is just amazing. Um, just watching these kids from all over the Northern Hemisphere, you know, the circumpolar region Mm -hmm. coming into your city, and you know, for for a while there, Kenai Airport was Kenai International Airport because we had flights coming in from from uh, Greenland and Canada. It was a hell of a lot of fun, you know, getting uh, things set up to deal with the wide body jet landing at Kenai Airport.
0: I've always thought it's weird when I've flown back from Kenai. There's no security Mm -hmm. because it's like not a you know, I don't know international air. I don't know what the reason is, but you just get on the plane, you kind of feel like, wow, nobody. So bring a check me you know you yeah. just walk on.
1: Well, we, we did for a period of time. We did have TSA ver, the, during that, the Ar- yeah, you know. during the Arctic Winter Games in '6, there was definitely security checks and everything else for people getting on and off and there was customs and the whole nine yards.
0: So so kind of a tangent here, but and this I didn't even think mm-hmm. to ask you this, but twice we were the pick for the Winter Olympics in the 90 mm-hmm. Anchorage. Yeah. And you know, Barry Sullivan years ago put together a committee of mm-hmm. 20 people to look at that. I was on that committee. Where, yeah, I think we should do that. I mean, I people say the money and all that. Well, I mean, it's a big lift. Doesn't the whole country help pay? And China f- figured out where you can take a lot of that stuff down afterwards and Well, d- don't build permanent. I mean, it just seems to me that would it, be such a boom for this place if we could. It, it
1: could be, you know, it, it's not cheap. And the mindset of when we were bidding for the games under Mayor Maestrom versus the mindset that is now in place in the International Organizing Committee it's it's billions um, to host a, either the winter or the summer Olympic Games. It it is that expensive now. They are they they've definitely raised the bar and they've made it much more difficult. Unless you've got a national government to back you, and I don't know that we would have the United States government backing us on this. Uh, they, we, they we would get federal funding for different aspects, but mm-hmm. it would probably be a pretty heavy lift.
0: I just for f- figure we can't seem to do much, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about this infrastructure-wise, and I just figured if that happened, we'd Mm -hmm. have to Mm -hmm. do a lot. Yeah. I'm a
1: believer in in, in having vision, and I'm a believer in having goals, and I'm definitely a believer that we got to get our mojo back, because I just think right now we're just so caught up in not getting, not having any kind of, you know, where we want to be in 10 years or where we want to be in 15 or 20 years. And that's one of the things we got to start having a conversation about as a community.
0: I not totally ne- agree. But I, I even on the state level within the local level with, mm-hmm. I just don't feel like there's a lot of vision. I mean, I go back yeah. and look at like, you know, Hickle and Hammond, these guys, these guys had like big ideas and there was a vision. There was a lot of passion. And now I just, it's like people think a year, maybe two years ahead. Right. And you know, I, it just, and we
1: don't remember much past two
0: years. It seems like, I moved here in '04, and mm-hmm. I paid attention a little bit. Later, I started paying more attention. It seems like every mayor, since I moved here, has talked about revitalizing downtown. Yeah. And downtown has gotten worse. Not better. Every, Bronson's had press conferences, Berkowitz had pre- Yeah. They all have ideas about, revi- and I've had many people I've talked to uh, who said they'd love to move here, mm-hmm. you know, especially after COVID. Mm-hmm. Tech workers in the West Coast, uh, finance workers, because they want to be able to hike and f- ski and f- sure. all these things. But there's, you know, they want to live in a downtown area or right. they want to live in a, con- and there's just nothing. There's want- just housing is a huge yeah. problem here.
1: You got just a hair under a thousand people living in downtown right now in the core downtown area. Um, north of South Edition, east of Bootlegger's Cove, and, and west of Fairview. God, that's it? That's it. That's it. It's that like 1,000 cr- it's, like, it's like, yeah. what's our population, 300,000 or 200 and something? 289,000 right now is the latest number. Uh, what does that
0: compare to, like, other cities where they have downtown? I mean, I'm sure it's way below the percentages a, of.
1: City of our size should conservatively have at least three to 4,000 people living downtown. And quite honestly, a, a, a vibrant downtown would have five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people living
0: downtown. I, mean, I don't even go. Once in a while, I, I go to the Captain Cook gym. and But as far as when I was younger going out, I don't. The homelessness and and just some of this. A friend of mine got murdered in 2012 outside of Platinum Jet. I mean, you know, I just don't really go down there unless I really have to. Maybe a concert Mm -hmm. or something. But When I was younger, I, I was like, you know, go downtown and there's always something going on. I'm a believer
1: in downtown because I worked down there for 16 and a half mm-hmm. years, and I, I got in the habit of walking downtown. I'd go from my offices on L Street all the way down uh, 6th Avenue to uh, Eagle Street, right across from the Sheraton. Then I'd loop back around. Oh, that's a nice walk. Yeah, and then I'd uh, loop back uh, loop back around on uh, f- excuse me, I'd go down 5th Avenue, and then I'd come back around on 4th Avenue. Sometimes I do 6th, but 6th is a little less exciting, you know, not mm-hmm. as much to see. But... Um, yeah, you you walk downtown, and if you just take the time to walk, that's about a you know mile and a half, two mile walk, kind of you know pretty close to it. And you see things that you miss, and there's a lot of little hidden nuggets, a lot of hidden little jewels down there, little you know little shops and different businesses and nice spots. But overall, you're right; it hasn't had the love that it should be
0: should have had over the last twenty years. When I first moved here, there used to be a little place on. I think like 5th and D it was like a crab outside crab show. Oh the
1: yeah the salmon uh, the salmon bake. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean I used, now that it's was parking a parking
0: lot. I used to love going there. Yeah. That was a cool yeah. thing. You sit down you be outside, it's sunny, you have some yeah. food and and there were so many other things you mentioned. I mean right. downtown that used to be fun to go to. We've got more, you know, that that's a that's a classic
1: example of what's been happening to our downtown since the 1980s. You know, 80s is when it really built out. And then we had some follow-on development after Project 80s. By the way, that's the last citywide major investment initiative we've had in the city. So this is like the, the, last, oil, the oil money funded uh, a lot it of this. It was oil money. It was all other people's money. Uh, we did have some skin in the game, but it was mostly other people's money, mainly the state treasury you know, passing through oil revenues to us that built the you know that built the Lusack Library, the Performing Arts Center, the Egan Center, the Sullivan Arena, Ben Bokey, a lot of the bike trail system. All of that was built out as a citywide we're gonna help improve the quality of place of our community. We didn't call it that back then. We just talked we just talked about nice amenities. But this is what workers are looking for now. And when you look at downtown today versus the 1980s, we have got distinctly more flat parking lots and vacant lots than we had then, substantially more. Uh, we've had a lot of buildings oh, they're, taken they're down. They're every, I
0: mean, I think they, they, right. pa- they simply passed something a few, like, earlier this year about the parking lot, which right. I
1: we, hope we, helps. But we will not allow any more new flat parking lots in downtown. And quite honestly, I this is, this is the third administration that I've been asking that they look at that and make a decision to – push for that change. And I'm so glad that it was done this year because that's valuable tax base that we've been allowing to erode. And downtown is a couple of things for our city. It's our living room. It's where anybody who comes to visit us is likely going to go first. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's their first impression of our city. I want you to think about that. My my
0: cousin, um, never been to Alaska, mm -hmm. visited the summer. A friend of his, his wife was getting married in Soldovia, stayed at the Marriott, um, Mm -hmm. came in, you know, we went out to Wildlife Conservation Center, mm-hmm. Whittier. And he told me, and he's from LA. Mm-hmm. They have a homeless problem. He's kind of a progressive guy. He was in the yeah. podcast, big in the car world. Yeah. And he told me he was like, you know, he had to basically explain to his kid why there was some like homeless person kind of like yelling or yeah. outside the hotel. You know, it was right. it was a whole thing. And it's like that's his first impression. Mm. That was his first impression. That's Which a made me kind of sad.
1: It is. And, you know, so that's that's one thing to keep in mind. And then, you know, the other part is the fact that normally in a successful city, your downtown is your biggest revenue generator, and it generates from a tax point of view, and it generates far more revenue than will, than will ever be spent in downtown. So what it does is it provides revenue to pay for snow plowing elsewhere in Anchorage, to pay for, you know, road maintenance, to pay for police service, outside of the downtown core. And so we've got a vested interest in figuring
0: out how we can get downtown back on its feet. I mean, what, what happened on. with this frigging Nordstrom's deal? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've heard different things about it. I mean, I've heard they just wanted to leave. They were, re, mm-hmm. you know, re- realigning their priorities of their business. I also heard that there was a push to make them go to the JCPenney deal. And it was, it got, I don't know what the mm-hmm. truth is, but all I know is that building sitting vacant and there's five lots, I think four owned by the city and one is privately owned. hmm I mean that is like what, that's a prime time. Yes, it is, and it's been boarded up for I don't know what two years now, three well, it's years. It's been
1: more than that. You know, it's, it's been years I hate to say it. It was it was in the Berkowitz administration. It was, it was a- in Andrew his first was term. Yeah, yeah Andrew was, was yeah. the
0: downtown uh, yep. partnership or what is it? Anchorage Community Development. Yeah, the ACDA. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just I, I used to go to Nordstroms. I used to buy suits. I used to buy. Clothes. I mean that was like a thing I used to do. Me too. Speaking of downtown, another thing you know with the mm-hmm. salmon bake and now, like I, I have to you know look online or go down to Seattle or something, because I don't buy a lot. But once in a while, every couple of years, I want to buy a new suit, you know, and yeah. they have these sale. They used to have the winter and the summer sale, and Sam was my guy. You probably know Sam, the mm-hmm. suit guy. And now yep. it's like we don't have that anymore.
1: We, we we don't have it at Nordstrom's. I will say, just in defense of local retailers, we still have Dick Stallone and Stallone's. You
0: know, I go, I go to Stallone's. I, I, yeah. I, I do go there, and I like Stallone's, and it's, yeah. it's, it's they got good stuff there, but... Yeah. It was just something about the Nord, the whole, I don't know, I know. Just, there was something about, especially with Sam, you I just know, loved going and seeing him.
1: I will say that I have, uh, in my job at Anchorage Economic Development Corporation, I have had any number of very sharp comments made to me about how did I allow Nordstrom's to leave town, and very bluntly. Well, it's not
0: your choice, is it? I mean, Well,
1: it's nobody's choice other than Nordstrom's. I mean, they were a business who were at the end of a lease and made a decision, and what they're doing as a company is just that God, now I'm getting into the minutiae. But, you know, I just got to say this, since you've got a lot of listeners, they are going to a different market model. The downtown store was turning into a return center because people would shop online and they wanted to make sure that they got it right the first time. So they'd order three or four sizes of oh, the one yeah. item they wanted and they would take it back to the store. And the store was very small. It was the smallest store in their chain. And they are now moving to million plus population centers where they use the store as both a retail location as well as a, an online shopping distribution
0: center. I mean I go to the one in Seattle and I just I just love yep those kind of stores, those kind of environments. Yeah. Oh, you know? I, I, we, we I'm just, with you. I mean Sloan's is great. I, I, I go there but yeah. it's just it's not like that, you know. I know. It's it you know and it's sad to see these things pass. You know, it,
1: just a little factoid the very first Nordstroms built in Alaska was built in Kenai. During really? The, yes, in the oil boom, the old the Kenai That's Mall, on, like, there. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Kenai Mall um, was
0: that in like the seventh. Like was that yeah. the oil time? That was
1: in the '60s. That was when the oil boom was going on in Cook Inlet, and wow. there was a Nordstrom's there, and there were a lot of very know sharp dressed men and women down on the Kenai Peninsula during that period. That was when they yeah, built out no, they... the Agrium plant and they built the uh, the refineries. There were two refineries out there. It was it was a pretty heady
0: time for the Kenai Peninsula. So so you're running for mayor now, and mm-hmm. there's there's six people in there, four kind of serious mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. And then, you know, there's like Darren Colby right. guy and Dustin, Dart. there's going to be some more, but right. y- you uh, were the head of the Anchorage economic development corporation for a long time. You'd have these, these uh, luncheons, these forums. So you, mm-hmm. you were like really plugged into what's going on in Anchorage. Wh- what do you see as like the, and why you're running, I guess, is the first question. What mm-hmm. do you see as like, we've talked about some things already, but what do you see as the real um, immediate issues that need to be solved and fixed in this city?
1: Some basic things. You know, the very first thing is that I think our city government is not delivering the services that the citizens expect on a number of fronts. We're, you know, we're having a hard time plowing roads. We've got a hard time delivering permitting on time. We've got a hard time delivering police services. We're understaffed. Um, the fire department's doing great work, but they are also challenged in terms of their ability to, you know, to meet national standards uh, for having the right number of people on, an, on, a, on a piece of equipment. That's, um, these are important issues that, you know, used to be just that kind of boring government that we really didn't care about, you know, because they were delivering the services on time and they were delivering the services effectively. We're not doing that anymore. We've got a problem on that front.
0: So basically what you're saying is, and I agree with you, we have a snowplow problem, we have a housing problem, we have a police problem, we have a regulation. Pr- and I mean, the homeless issue. Homeless, so we have, I mean, basically we have every problem a city could have. <laughs> Pretty much. And it's, it's, it's like, I've been here almost 20 years. I, I wanna be here. I mean, I've actually talked about this. I, I have my mm-hmm. business here and my life's here, my condo's here, <laughs> my friends are here. But if I didn't have all of these attachments here, right. I would probably go to the Valley. Because, cause I have a friend who just who just um, was moved uh, hired somebody to move here. They couldn't sure. find a place to live in Anchorage. They just could not find a place to live. Sure, and they they went to the valley and they wanted to live in Anchorage. Yeah, but it just you go out there and you see, especially Palmer, I like Palmer. But there's the the housing. I think half the housing last year got built in the valley, in in the state was yes. you know built out there and over half. I mean, well can, over. Can, can we? I mean, how do we? Is it the mayor itself? Is it the assembly? I mean, I, last three years. Two years of mayor and the assembly have been very at odds and but even when Berkowitz was mayor, he had an assembly kind of almost lockstep mm-hmm. with him and, and nothing really got better.
1: It you know, I, I I'm not gonna speak ill of those who've come before me, you know, because they've had their own challenges, their own issues, and their own circumstances that I was not, you know, in the front lines on in many cases. But what I will say is what I'm seeing today is a, a need to have a collaborative effort between the administration and the assembly and the community, which, you know, I think is something that is sometimes forgotten in the acrimony. And we need to do a better job of thinking about problem solving and less about what we don't like about each other. So, um you know i'm i'm looking at you know how can we collaborate and if if i can get 60 70 80% of what i want or you know as as policy initiatives and as things that are getting done and but first and foremost getting government staffed back up because you got to have bodies in the seats to be able to get the work done or in the trucks or on the beat you know those are the things that we need to make sure that you're not put on hold for 911 that you're going to get police service when you need it that you're going to get your permit for for your new construction project or your backyard you know fence that you need to get put up that somehow requires a permit or whatever it may be for your uh, business
0: that's real I ca- A few weeks ago there was um, i heard several gunshots near my house i know it was gunshots yeah. and i called 911 to report sure. it i literally got put on hold yeah i They're, said i said is this is this real i mean when i think of 911 i think of like bam Immediately, somebody answers the phone. Yeah.
1: In talking with uh, representatives of the police union, I know that they're down over 50 badged officers from what they're budgeted for.
0: Well, you saw the, the on the state level, um, they just did a 30% right pay increase outside of the union contract yep. for dispatchers because they were losing dispatchers. They couldn't recruit and they were losing. I mean, think about that, 30%. We're down race. 10
1: dispatchers, 8 to 10 dispatchers, depending on what's going on. And we've got a retirement wave that's sweeping through these departments. Uh, We've also got a bit of a disillusionment wave, I think, also in the fact that people's workloads are just overwhelming and they're not they're not willing you know, they're just not willing to put up with what they're being asked to do, which I think any number of us would be hard pressed to do, um, given, you know, the lack of of bodies that are there to help get the job done.
0: How do we I know for the last 10 years we've lost population Mm -hmm. in Anchorage. I mean, some people have said, that's good, we need to lose, we, no. we can't, and I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with, I don't agree with that, but yeah. some people, how many you can support in the city and the state, and I, I I think that's wrong. I think we want to get people, especially with this Willow thing and other projects and pick, I mean, if, if this in gas lines, maybe that's never going to happen, but if that were to happen, people need to live somewhere, you know? They do,
1: and we've got, you know, we've got, you know, the sins of the 70s and the sins of the 80s when it comes to the sprawl that we allowed to happen in our city, and we weren't re- very efficient in thinking about how we wanted to design our city I mean that's what you know zoning code is for mm-hmm. is to lay out you know density and things along li- along those lines and so now we've got to figure out how do we come back in and backfill and how do we o- offer up opportunities for housing developers to develop the kinds of housing that we want and need you know it's it's not all about the eight hundred thousand dollar you know 3,000 plus, 4,000 plus square foot home with a quarter or half acre of dirt under it, you know, that for many, that is something that, you know, we all want and, you know, would be excited to have. But for a lot of folks, especially in the younger
0: generation, they're not looking for that. Well, I had Kevin Cross on the podcast a few yeah. months back and we talked about his zoning, which he right. got ironically attacked by all the conservatives. They, yeah. they were the ones who went after him, Downing, yeah. Suzanne Downing and Procaro and Domboski. But um, he, he made so many good points about, as soon as you go over duplex, mm-hmm. triplex, or more, it just becomes basically almost impossible. It's the, hard. The, the, the regulations, the zoning, the and you know he, him and Voland and I think Zolotel tried to do a thing and down to you know two different um, zoning. Um, I appreciate their efforts. I appreciate them trying to get
1: the conversation going, and but that I, didn't go
0: very. I mean, they, the people like yeah. lost their minds. It was like you'd think you'd think we were you know. Like doubling property tax or something. When 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 really they're trying to make it easier to yeah. To, and you have this NIMBY problem. It's a nationwide. There's a really good book I read. One billion Americans mm-hmm. a couple of years ago by the Matthew Iglesias, And his whole thing is we need a billion. We need to grow. You know, to compete with China and to be competitive. And even if we had a billion people, would still be lower population density than most countries in Europe. But but a big part of that is um, you got to fix zoning. And all over the country, you know, it's just I just saw a, a tweet about some lady who bragged about stopping thirty five different housing developments in the lower 48 because she doesn't want more housing. Right. But then people can't afford to live, you know? And that's a problem for us. You
1: know, our housing prices have gone through the roof. You can, if you look at the curve on prices on the, on the graph, I mean, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's definitely a steep upward curve and it's making housing unaffordable for people of just basic means. And that's not right. Our city needs to be able to provide housing options that can fit the needs of individuals in in small families, big families, people who are, you know, are in their middle of their earning years, people who are at the beginning of their earning years, people who are at the end of their earning years and are going into retirement. We haven't really been intentful and and meaningful in terms of what we've done to promote that kind of development through policy. So what's the best way
0: to, to get more housing built? Is it the changing the zoning code or it's a lot of different things
1: um, because you've got to you've got to attack the problem from multi- multiple directions, and it's partly it's partly permitting, it's partly zoning, it's partly cost of materials, it's cost of time. That's a very significant thing. People don't realize how expensive it is for developers when their permits take you know weeks or months in some cases.
0: I've heard I've heard I have yeah. friends that are builders and. So it's funny. One of them has been a long time builder. Right. They have relationships. They kind of know how to right. navigate it, you know. But even then, sometimes it's like arbitrary. But for people who don't know how, or who are newer or yeah. may, might not have the savvy kind of to navigate the building um, office, it is it is like sometimes just unbelievable. I mean, it's so bad that that guy, uh, taught, you know, Ron Thompson, or he was the old building guy. Oh and yeah, the, and yeah, 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 he, yeah. He started a company. Yeah. That that uh Special, scope, yeah, which, specializes. Which a lot of people have have used. Mm-hmm. Now I think it was kind of messed up. He went back to the, like you can't you can go you can go from the public to the private. You can't be floating back and forth. But because his daughter was still running the company when he was, yeah, back. At, but, but that company, I've talked to so many. Actually, the people who own this building and the pawn shop over, they used them to get that because over there, just that little part, that little storage lot was like a mm-hmm. a monster of permitting. Yeah, and and you know, it's like. When you have to, it's almost like a, a, like Russia or something, where you have to pay somebody in the government or outside the government to get things done. I, well, not, you know, not you as hire, bad as that, but yeah, it's, you
1: hire a good contractor who knows the ins and outs, and they can they can help to you know smooth the bumps in the road a little bit, you know, as far as by knowing the system and knowing how to you know time things and how to and who to call and you know get attention to things. I get that, but you know, we should have you know we should we. I think I'm not here to promote a particular you know, detailed strategy, I think one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to look at how other cities are being successful in this outside of Alaska. There are a lot of innovators because we're not the only ones with this problem. It's a nationwide issue. You know, you've got a lack of of employees available, you know, lack of carpenters, plumbers, electricians, Uh you know, it's a nationwide shortfall, uh, not just limited to Anchorage or Alaska. And there are a lot of cities who are figuring out how do we get more workforce? How do we get, more, you know, rational systems, and I think what we want to do is we want to look for ideas that we can plagiarize and make our
0: own. I just get—I just got back on, on a cruise. I was in mm-hmm. Vancouver. There's cranes all over the place. Beautiful. I was in Phoenix yeah. visiting yeah. a friend. They're building like like Wraith, um, uh, Northrop, and and, and Intel yep. and Toyota. There's like big buildings going up. I mean, yep. fact, They're doing—they're doing, they're doing a um. Semiconductor, Taiwan, mm-hmm. semiconductor, hundred billion dollars. Yep. I mean, I, even New Mexico, I, my parents live in Albuquerque. That's where I'm from. I go back. I mean, I go back. It's like every time I go back, they've built a new road or uh, some new built, big, huge thing pops sure. up. Seattle, too. There's, I mean, they have their problems. They're homeless. Pro- but there's, like, you go down there, there, there's cranes moving. There's stuff being built. It seems like a lot's happening in a lot of places. I think we can have
1: our own, you know, positive, you know, healthy growth in Anchorage with just a little bit of groundwork and a little bit of conversation with the community that starts to say okay this is where, where do you want to go where where do you want to be in 10 years what is it that you want you know do we want our city to be better let's come to that first question and if we can all agree on that then what makes it better um, a downtown that we all are proud of and that we can that we we feel like we want to go you know visit at, you know at any time of day and that people want to live in whether they're young people or even seniors cuz seniors really do like downtown condos as a place or apartments to live because it's walkable and you don't Mm -hmm. have to climb stairs if you're buying the right place. And they all know that at some point stairs are going to become their enemy and they still want to be able to get out and about and go have coffee with friends, go out to a meal, go out and do their shopping. And these are, these are the kinds of things that we got to be thinking about because it's just amazing how, you know, Gen Zers and younger millennials want the same thing that older boomers want mm-hmm. in retirement. And I think that's an opportunity, but we've just ignored it. We've just flat out ignored it. And, you know, in, in the rest of the city, we've got to start having some conversations about, is there going to be places outside of downtown where we're going to have some vertical housing construction? I'm not talking 10 or 20 stories. I'm talking three stories, five stories.
0: I, mean, I just can't, believe when they took down the sea galley, which mm-hmm. I was very upset about. Um, they're putting a car wash there. Yeah. To me, that was like, that's perfect for, for a 10 story, you know, apartment building or condo building. I, that, that seems like a, it's right in the middle of Anchorage. I mean, that seems like the best place to do something like that. A mixed deal where you have some shop. I mean, might, I've, friends that live in houston have been down there to visit mm-hmm. you know there's um woodlands i think it's yeah the woodlands it's i've like been there a lot of mm-hmm. oil yep. people i mean you go to these it's like they have an apartment or a condo and then downstairs there's like a, there's a grocery store there's a right. coffee shop there's a there's a there's a little river there's a lake there's like a there's it's all there and it's I just think, so nice and i
1: think we can have our version of that here in anchorage but it's a conversation that has to be had with the community that policymakers and the administration need to listen to and ask the right questions and don't come in with total preconceptions, but start to get clarity on what it is that Anchorage thinks it would be happy with that would make this city better. You know, walkable neighborhoods. I can't tell you the number of people that I've met so far, um, both in my job at AEDC and now in, in the campaign, that are complaining about the fact that they don't feel good about their kids taking taking a bike to go to the nearest, you know, little shopping spot or whatever because there's no sidewalk. There's no bike trail. It goes...
0: It's even beyond that. I have friends who, they don't want to go on the trails. Well, Next I want to talk about yeah. is the homelessness. Prop yeah. needles, they find needles or they sure. see people in tents and they're written there. It's scary, you know, for women or kids. It's not, I mean, for me, it's like, I don't want to yeah. deal with like, you know, crazy people that are, that are, you know, lighting fires or that are kind of, you know, hitting you up from, you know, the dark trail and somebody's like, you know, yep. bothering. And it's, it's, it's scary. Well you know Jeff I, I'm, I'm right in the middle of it my backyard is on
1: Russian Jack Park I'm a proud East Sider and um, overall, oh, so yeah you know um, I've cleaned out with my neighbors I think we're up to five or six abandoned camps that were left in the woods back there and we've dealt with the berry pit for the needles so that nobody gets hurt and injured and we've dealt with the debris we had we had one guy who built himself a little condo back there he branched a bunch and topped a bunch of trees in a certain pattern. Took dimensional lumber out there. Was charging a power tools somewhere, um, and would come back during the day. And would he built himself a little little apartment up off the ground, um, you know, about ten feet off the ground with a nice little stair step to get up to it, and the whole nine yard. Yeah, yeah.
0: And that guy should be working somewhere. That's a talented well, person. Well,
1: we did meet him, and he was a carpenter, but he was a carpenter dealing with some fairly significant mental health mm-hmm. issues. And his wife finally found him and came and got him and made him come home but i I have
0: the same i live on campbell like off old seward and dowling back there and Mm -hmm. fairweather if you know so campbell you know we had last year two years ago we had a a fire Mm -hmm. get started there was a camp back there and and it was when it was dry yeah and luckily the fire department they showed up they were there in like five i think because they know like they're like if something goes on back there it's bad because there's houses all behind that i i'm on my condo board and last year luckily um i don't want to give a Shout out to Chris Constant here because mm-hmm. I asked him. They were doing this cleanup thing with the spruce bark beetle trees. They, mm-hmm. use, they have some COVID money or something. And right. they finally came back, and they cleared a whole. I mean, there was really bad. And they, they cleared it out. I mean, you can actually see through the, you know, to the trail now. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a huge, like, I mean, luckily the rain this year made the fire danger yeah. go way down. But, I mean, that that's like, there's a lot of people living back there in those camps. And, and I mean, a fire could could do, I mean, untold amounts of damage.
1: Um, untold amounts of damage once it gets out of the woods and into the neighborhood. Right. It's, it's, yeah. And the houses start to. And trust me, we've, we've had the same concerns. We had, we, we had the same conversation with the city and they came in with a brush hog and cleared back a good hundred feet, hmm, good. Left, left the healthy trees up, but brushed it down and got all the same thing black where black yeah. spruce out behind our neighborhood. I know some of my neighbors weren't happy about it because it ruined what they thought was a nice, you know, wooded view outside their window. But I'm here to tell you.
0: Yeah, until the fire comes. And, uh,
1: until the fire comes and then you're gonna be you're gonna be happy that that, that was brushed back. And quite honestly, I wish they brush it back all the way because there's a whole bunch of dead black spruce in there. But that's another
0: no, no, that's well, another conversation. Another tangent here. After what happened in Maui, I mean yeah. and people have talked about this. I think in twenty nineteen there was some when it was really dry, there was the fires here. We had the fire. Oh. I, I don't think people understand what what could happen on the hillside. Hillside
1: and other parts of Anchorage. I mean, Eagle River. You know, anywhere in the state. Quite frankly, that summer when we were hitting the 90s in Anchorage,
0: oh, I was doing kasugi kasugi Ridge that Fourth oh, yeah. of July. Yeah. We it was so hot, we ended up only doing two thirds of it because it was 90 degrees up there, yeah. and it was it didn't get you know the sun was up. It was I July. I, was,
1: I think my wife and I were up there with my um, uh, with my nephew. Uh, excuse me, my grandson. We went up there for a hike about two weeks after you did because um, we were up there at the same time. And you know, the, all the muskeg was crunchy.
0: We started at, um, I guess, Little Cold Creek, mm-hmm. and you know, we had a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad that year that we, you know, the said so there was ample water up up. You, know, you go, go up that no, kind was. of four I mile. Mean, I don't know how it was. I yeah. mean, you, you hike to the top of the mountain to right. the ridge. There was no water. There was no water, and, and we, we actually luckily little, ran. Yeah. People and they said like like it was hot and I was starting mm-hmm. to worry about heat you know and luckily some people had some water once we got to the top there was the, you know the creek it was fine but there was like zero I mean there was those you could see where there used to be a little creek
1: yep nothing there was a couple of little pools of water underneath the bridge there on the on the parks it was it was something
0: but I, I mean I think the, the the fire danger in this city is is I mean luckily this year like I said it was tons of rain but I mean it, that's something that needs to be I think better mitigated I mean do you agree, do you agree that we need to I think that we you know I think
1: that the fire department and the office of emergency you know the office of emergency response is all thinking about this it's just going to be a matter of resources and you know getting staffed up that's the other thing you know when you when you don't have enough uh, people to operate equipment in a way that is recommended by the national standards where you've only got 3 when you should have 4 for a particular piece of mm-hmm. equipment that's a problem and we need to you know understand that you know this retirement wave that we're going through this loss of workers to the lower 48 we're down we're going to be down here in the next couple of years down about one out of every 10 worker that we had in 2013
0: something else going on uh i was talking to um my buddy ryan binkley about Mm -hmm. a lot of people and i've seen this through friends and other Mm -hmm. other people that i've seen by businesses a lot of people who started business in the 70s and 80s here Mm -hmm. are 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 retired they're selling their businesses yep and and ryan was telling me and in I think he's totally right. There's not like a community here of, of an easy way to like cultivate and and make it easy or help people buy businesses, but there's a lot of stuff coming up for sale. A friend of mine just bought their parents' business and Mm -hmm. other friends, you know, they bought a, they bought a street sweeping company. This guy started in the seventies. And I mean, that's another thing going on right now where you have a lot of people like retiring and there's a lot of opportunity for people to buy businesses, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not um, as easy as it may be, maybe in other places. It's
1: not. You know, we do have a couple of really good local banks in Northrim and First National. Um, they're very much motivated to get, you know, commercial loans out there. They're looking for good deals. So, you know, I'd recommend anybody listening, thinking about buying a business to first and foremost, have a conversation with them. And then the Small Business Development Center, John Bittner and his team over there, mm-hmm. they can really help um, people get a business plan together that's bankable, as an example. And then there is some money out there, but John, but Ryan is right. There is a, a fairly big hole in the venture market, if you will, the, the investment market of private investors who would be willing to put money in place that would, um, you know, in, in between about the half million mark up to about five million, there's just not a lot of cash available for those size deals. And that's a lot of the businesses that you just named. That's a, I think it, most of them mm-hmm. are in that, in that range. Yeah. And it's, you know, it partly is the rates of return on those kinds of investments aren't as high as a bigger investment. And in the lower investments below a half a million, that's more for people who are, you know, trying to get in on the next great idea. That's going to be, you know, the next Google, the next, you know, the next Apple, things along those lines. And they're trying to get it on the ground floor and help, you know, in the fool's friends and family phase of, like of the, investors.
0: Permanent fund has a little bit, they allocate for these things. And I think they, they, put a, they put money in Snapchat, you know that? Yeah. Like back before it was in, I think they, they, they've they lost on a lot of things, but they've, yep. they hit Snapchat and there's another one, I think some healthcare medical, what was the name of that company? They've had some pretty. It was, pretty, it was like a hundred to one. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah they've, had a few of those. they've had a few of those over the decades. So, so I want to go back to the homelessness. I mean, yeah. what, I've done a lot of, I don't know if you've, We've done a few videos, me and mm-hmm. Scott, um, two kind of mini documentaries. I've seen, in them. i I yeah. stayed in the Sullivan, and I recently s- tried to stay in this thing on 3rd Avenue, but I was threatened with violence. Yeah. Um, that 3rd Avenue thing is like, I, I just cannot.
1: It's a travesty. It's beyond me how, we,
0: how we're allowing that to happen. It's a travesty. I mean, it, it, it is like Mad Max over there with yes, drugs and needles and prostitution and violence and horrible, horrible living conditions and people that are. When I was at the Sullivan, I mean, you're, you're mixing extremely mentally ill people with with drug addicted people and then people who just need a place to stay so they can go to work. Yeah. And that is not a good mix. No. But even then that was at least at least it was inside and at least there was some even though it was really crazy there was some semblance of there was some security. That 3rd Avenue there's like it's it's totally wild west out there. It's not good.
1: The the camp situation is a real challenge, you know, the 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 court decision that put us in the position of having to have an equal number of beds to the equal number of people that are, based on the most recent counts, that are homeless. We just aren't prepared for that. We don't have the body, so it it puts us in a position of you know this kind of weird new law that says that you got to figure out how you're going to house them if you're going to evict them. Now there's
0: they I guess the mayor just signed on to this brief with these other cities. Spring Court, yeah, trying there's,
1: to get a, trying to get the case heard. There's
0: another case that would I think undo this Boise thing you're talking about. Could be could be. It was the
1: Oregon case. Um, um, I don't know that it was Portland. It was another city uh, in Oregon. But yeah, they tried to find some ways around the Idaho decision. And so far, they've had no luck within the Ninth, Ninth Circuit Court. Um, your opinion of the Ninth Circuit Court being whatever anybody's opinion is on the Ninth Circuit Court, um, our only recourse now is the U.S. Supreme Court if we want to get this law you know, changed or vacated, um, this ruling And that, that's a challenge, but you know
0: what? That
1: doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying to work with the challenge.
0: So what, I mean, what do you, I guess two questions, what do you see happening immediately this winter with this? Because I know they're going to move these, remove these cars and these these RVs over there on Mm third Avenue. And there's also the camp on um, Mountain View, um, Davis park. And then there's this kind of midtown, but what do you see happening this winter? And then how do we like fix this? Because it's a it is a real problem. I mean, I know that's yeah. a big question, but this is a real problem for the city.
1: Yeah, um, I wish I could come in here and say that I've got the magic silver bullet solution. I don't, but I've got a process that I think will lead to answers. And that is, first and foremost, we got to be able to talk to each other on these issues, and we got to be able to have meaningful conversations. And we got to, you know, if somebody's upset with you, you know, whether you're a mayor or you know you're a member of the assembly, you got to have the will to, you know. Be yelled at for 10 15 minutes go ahead get it out of your system tell me why I'm wrong tell me why you're mad at me okay now you've got that you feel better now let's start talking about what is it that you want to accomplish and I'll tell you what I want to accomplish and let's see where we agree and we can start getting some solutions in place you know we're we're bearing the brunt of the homeless problem for a majority of the state of Alaska uh, we know that we have communities that don't have the means of dealing with this situation effectively because they just don't have the resources that are it's suggesting strongly to the individuals that they come to Anchorage, where we're more affluent and oh, and I mean, right
0: and some people don't like to hear that, but I've mm-hmm. been out there and I've ta- There's a lot of people who who you know they're from different parts of Alaska and they come and mm-hmm. some some tell me they go back mm-hmm. for a little bit and they come back here sure. because their friends are here, or there's sure. resources here, or it's for whatever reason. I mean, that that is. I mean, Fairbanks doesn't deal with that because it's so much colder and it's smaller. Right. You know, we we do bear the brunt right. of a lot of. Um, you're totally right about that some people don't want to hear that but that's the truth
1: and i've been a member of the homeless leadership council which is a business group uh, that was put together um, with the help and support of the rasmussen foundation business leaders trying to bring their voice and their views to these issues and you know i'll tell you this you know first and foremost you know government is probably one of the worst potential tools that you could use for solving homelessness because it tends to be a hammer and nail methodology it's very good at solving one problem, but when you've got hundreds of people who each have their own unique package of problems and issues, some are you know, a modest number of things and we can help them quickly and efficiently and you know, get them into a better situation where they can get on to a more productive and healthy life, but others have a myriad of problems. And you know, to come at that with just a single solution um, mentality that if we just do this one thing, it's going to solve the problem. Isn't going to work. No, you're,
0: you're totally right. I mean, there, there's a mental health and I've said this before many times, if you're really mentally ill and you want mm-hmm. help, you can't get, I mean, there's really no easy way to get help unless you have no. a family with resources. If you're a drug, drug addicted, or if you're an alcoholic, or if you're, mm-hmm. you know, there's just not an easy, it's, if you decide, I think everybody, you know, you've heard of these people, you have the moment of clarity where it's like, I want help. And there's a window where people, and and it's not very, it's not a very big window. And and that's a big part of the issue. I think if you're, if you do want help, um, it's hard to get help here. And then some people, you know, don't want help and they want to live out there and they want to kind of be out of society. And we, we, we just tolerate that. And we shouldn't be tolerating drug usage in the public and, 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 you know, prostitution and people sleep, sleeping in the street. We shouldn't, but... There's some mentality by some people that kind of well, you know, you really can't. What's well, our choice? You know, it's you know, Jeff. These are Alaskans.
1: These are our neighbors. These are our friends. These are our these are our fellow citizens. You know, put you know, figure out the relationship that best fits your point of view on it. And I think they're all right. Um, there's only you know 730 some odd thousand of us in this state, and we're all in this together because this this is not a state that tolerates you know divisiveness um, in terms of its environment. If you don't work together and if you don't look out for the least among us, there are going to be people who are going to die out on the streets this coming winter. And that's, that's just a travesty. Um, you know, if, if if our society has reached that point, these are not disposable people. These are people who we need to do everything that we can to try and help them to get into a better place. I, I, I totally agree with you. But, and, and having, but having said that, let me just finish out this thought. Bad behavior that breaks the law is another thing that we have to start to address, and we have to start recognizing that, you know, their problems, while, you know, definitely needing to be addressed, in the same hand, we can't have things like what's going on over on Third Avenue with, you know, these these folks who are least able to take care of themselves being taken advantage of by people who are just absolutely ruthless in, in abusing them. For, you know, for uh, sex trafficking and drug abuse and, you know, I, I got to tell you, the one that just offends me the most is uh, recently just on a small but just really torqued me was those two clowns who decided it would be a really good business idea to go over to Costco and buy a bunch of Costco vodka on the cheap and then rebottle it in water bottles and sell it to the oh, homeless.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And what they got was misdemeanor charges because that's all we've got in place in Alaska. Really? This this is where this is where we are at. as a I mean, state. if you
0: do that in these dry villages, right. you go to jail. I mean, that's a big, 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 big crime. To, yeah, to, but here um, in
1: Anchorage, it's a you know they were they were selling alcohol without a license, and it was a misdemeanor. Um, Though the last I heard, that was the only charges that could be brought against them. You know, so they're going to get a small slap on the hand. They might get fined and, and lose some money, but they're not going to get what they truly deserve, which is some good jail time.
0: I mean, I I, I you said before, I totally agree. I want to. I'm a compassionate person. Yeah. I want to help people but some sometimes help is tough love i mean that's sometimes what that re-
1: our public re- space re- resorts to our public spaces are our public spaces and we've got to figure out a strategy to get us to a point where we can get these folks the help that they need and get them in a position where they've got options where we can tell them no you can't camp here and that's where we've got to get to and then in the meantime When they're breaking and entering, when they're stealing, when they are, you know, doing drugs illegally, um, you know, doing illegal drugs and and doing these things in public that are creating public disturbances and and significant public nuisances, we've got to start thinking about how do we address that. And I have a hard time going to the police department and saying, I need you to do a bunch of enforcement here when you're down that many officers and you're down that many dispatchers and key support staff. I, I really that's going to be, you know, we got to get the bodies in place. And that's going to be a problem because it's not going to happen overnight.
0: A lot of this shouldn't be, I mean, there's some police Mm -hmm. role in some of this, but these these people that are really mentally ill and have addiction, I mean, this isn't, when you bring the police in, it it, it always makes it worse. The police are for,
1: for, you know, for the property crimes and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. The people who are dealing with mental health issues, we have got to demand that our state, who is the main source of revenue for this uh, service, Needs to start uh, upping their funding for mental health support services and mental health treatment facilities.
0: Well, we have this mental health trust with lots of money and lots of land.
1: We do, we do, but the state has a role in this too because we haven't adjusted those dollars from the state treasury in—I believe it's almost ten years now.
0: Well, I've and heard I've heard people say that and I, I just couldn't even believe this, but in the '90s there was hundreds of beds at API. Yes, I didn't. I was like, "There's no way!" And then I, I started yeah. looking into it. Yeah, there was like. There's a lot of beds. Now there's, I don't know, dozens or so. it's like way below, right. but we have a bigger you know, problem, but we have less beds. And,
1: and then the other problem that we have is healthcare professionals who are going to be able to deliver the services that we want to pay for. You know, we have a shortage of those individuals in the state. We have a shortage of counselors. We have a shortage of mental health clinicians. We have a shortage of, you know, care center facilities. You know, it's. We've allowed things to kind of wash away beneath our feet as a state over the last 20, 25 years. And now, unfortunately, those consequences are on full view in our streets and our parks.
0: And it's not a new problem. I, I've told this story before. I, I drove a cab here for a couple of years when yeah. I was in college. And I got a call one time to go to the Marriott. And I, I show up. And normally, the you know, somebody comes out. And you know, nobody came out. So I went to the da- And they said, oh, yeah, the cab. But hold on a second. They bring this guy out. And he gets in. And I said, where are we going? And the guy was like. Clearly, I mean, it was mm-hmm. right away. I mean, skits, I mean, what I found out later, he started spitting off all this nonsense. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I didn't want to just drop the guy off. I felt bad. But, you know, so they, they had a guy they couldn't deal with. So, that, so instead of calling the cops or, or you know, a hospital or whatever, they called the cab. So I'm I'm like, this guy is like just incoherently talking about like Arnold Schwartz and all, all this craziness. But in the middle of it, he had like a, a kind of a coherent moment where he, where he like said a name and a phone number. And I was like, I'm going to just try this. So I called this person. It's his sister who was in Seattle. He's a long time kind of schizophrenic. He goes off his meds sometimes. She was like, "Can you please take him to the you know hospital?" I mean, he was it was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. The shit this guy was saying it was like really out there. Yeah. But he wasn't. I don't didn't feel like it was dangerous, but it was a little scary. So I I drive him to API. Um, they kind of knew him, and it took you know a whole it was a whole process of, of who are you? And I saw they they called the cab, and I mean this is like not how we should be solving these problems. You know, no. calling a cab. And, you know, and shoving him off to somebody who is not trained to, to deal with the guy. I mean, they hopefully helped him, you know, and his sister thanked me for taking him. But it was it was like a very eye-opening experience for me. It's And that was in 2009 or 10.
1: Yeah, and that's when the problems were just starting to really, you know, we, we've had homeless in our community for decades, and people just don't realize it because it wasn't as prominently out in front of us as it is today and has been in the last several years. But there have been there has been a homeless population in our community. And quite honestly, the population that we see on the street only represents a fraction of the total homeless population, which is mainly people who are out of homes with kids and families and individuals, you know, couch surfing, living in their cars. You know, I think there's a great article in the ADN about, you know, people who are just down on their luck and living in a vehicle of some kind, whether it's an RV or it's a passenger car. And those are people that I think we kind of get lost in this just a little bit in terms of, No, you're this. right. There,
0: there's people that aren't on the street They're Right. You're, you're totally right. They're living on somebody's and what, and couch. what are we doing for
1: them? And how are we helping them?
0: It just, it just, I, I remember being young and, and, you know, moving here and not having a lot of money. And, you know, I was in, at some point got involved in the underground gambling world. I was dealing poker here and some of these, you know, I've got many stories about that, but you know, when you're, um, when you're, Low on money, and when you're really in a bad spot, there's no seeing out of it. I mean, no matter how. I mean, unless you're making insane, crazy money, which you're not going to make. I mean, I was yeah. making. I came back. I went. To, I had all this money. Not a little money saved. up, went to Europe, came back. You know, I, I was in 2006, um, young, dumb. I came back with no. I mean, I was really in a bad spot, and I was a doorman at the Captain Cook, and uh, I was making ten bucks an hour plus tips. And I mean, I was. It was. It was like I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel because when you look at your rent and, and school and just different, just just paying for stuff, it's really hard to, to even fathom. How do I get out of this? How do I get ahead? Yeah. When you don't have, you know, a place to live and you have to put down a deposit and you know a security deposit and the first I mean three or four thousand dollars. I mean it's like it may as well be a million dollars. You know. Yeah. And it's it's there's people that some people do need some help and i'm all about helping people like there's that there's a lot of people
1: who need help in our community jeff it's in it's it, there's a lot of help that's being delivered i don't want to sell the service providers short they are working they are they're doing god's work out there trying to help these very challenged individuals especially the ones with the most significant problems find ways to getting off the street and trying to convince them that now is the time to take advantage of what we're offering you mm-hmm. and you know We've, we've got a long road to go before we're going to get this problem under control, but I'm ready to have the conversation and start knocking them off one step at a time as far as the solutions that we need to get out on the street and get in place so that we can start getting our city back into a condition that we are all happy with and all proud of.
0: Well, last thing I want to talk about is, you know, there's kind of four of you in the race that are mm-hmm. the main, you know, there's Mayor Bronson, obviously, there's Suzanne LaFrance, who was former assembly member, mm-hmm kind of progressive um, person, de- Chris Tuck's a former de- you know, le- Democratic legislator. So you got Suzanne and Chris, they've already, very publicly, they're people and they've kind of gotten kind of going mm-hmm. after each other. And then Bronson's obviously going for the conservative vote. And mm-hmm. I think the runoff is 45% to avoid the runoff. 45 plus one. Wh- what's like, how do you see your, and I know more people might get in and it's still a ways off before the I think, filings in January deadline. But mm-hmm. I mean, how, what do you see your path as here is, you know, getting... To the probably the runoff is going to be what's going to happen most likely.
1: Well, first and foremost, I am I have not been a member of a political party for decades. Um, I am non-declared. I I just it 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 just isn't something that I felt the need to do.
0: I've been nonpartisan since June of 2020. There so we go. I've been I was Republican, but I just both yeah. both of them are so crazy. And, I've,
1: and I'm putting politics aside and and party you know partisanship aside. In in this race, I am I am running for Anchorage. That's why we call it the Pop for Anchorage campaign. Um, my view is, is well, I like that, that Pop for
0: uh, yeah, Pop for Anchorage. That's it. <laughs> that's and, and
1: I think I'm going to be pulling votes from the conservative side, maybe not the uber conservative side, because I'm you know I'm willing you know I'm a I'm fiscally responsible, but I'm not going to cut my way to success. That's not a strategy that I think is going to work for Anchorage.
0: Well, that's um, interesting because I think you know. LaFrance and Tucker are going to mm-hmm. be going for the Democrat, mm-hmm. you know, the progressive vote. But, but, but if, if, a, if another, if a, if a Republican or a conservative doesn't get in, uh, I mean, I think Bronson is so vulnerable on so many things. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, the snow plowing and this Joe race guy and the stars of David stuff mm-hmm. and just, just, you know, all these kind of people that have been controversial Amy to I mean, there's like, it's a long list. Um, to me, that that, and I've talked to people about this. I mean, I think you could get. Um, a, I think Tuck's going to go for those voters too, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a you know some percentage of votes there that because if you get down to it's, a, it's four people, and they all do, do at least fifteen percent, all of a sudden you got to think about you know twenty five percent, thirty percent could get could get could get the person to the runoff.
1: And I think you're right. Um, you know, I think everybody's going to have their own records to defend. I'm not running against anybody. I'm I'm not going to be out here taking shots at any individual candidates. I'm going to be talking about the current conditions and where I think we can go to improve those conditions and to start thinking about what we want our city to really be and to start thinking about where we're going to be in 10 years. And if I'm successful uh, in being mayor, which I think I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be trying to have a conversation with the community first and foremost after I get government righted and getting services being delivered in an efficient way and getting, you know, our our ship basically, you know, sailing in the, in, in, you know, on smooth course, then we're going to have to have a conversation about what, what's the future look like? What are we going to do to make our city more attractive so that we can start getting people to stay here? Because we're losing thousands of people every year from our city of working age and our young people in particular, it just it just kills me. I've got two grandkids over in Eagle River, and I am, I am doing everything I can, and it's one of the reasons I jumped into this race, is I was looking for a candidate that I could get behind, and I just didn't see it in terms of a candidate with a vision for the future that I think I have that's going to turn the city around and give us a, a, a case to make with our young people that are born here, half of whom right now are leaving our city and never coming back, leaving the state, gone. And that is that is such an you know, just, just a terrible loss. You know, I mean we're gonna lose part of our youth, no matter what. The grass is always greener. I get that. And quite honestly, I don't you know, I think kids are well served to go out and see the world and experience the world, but I want them to come back. But half of them leave and they don't come back. And then in the overall population are sixty you know, some between sixteen and twenty-six, over a third of those individuals who may not have been born here but were raised here, leave the state and don't come back.
0: I wonder how that compares to other places. I mean, you're right. Like I, I didn't grow up here and I moved here. Uh-huh. A lot of people leave where they were um, from. But I wonder how that compares to other. It seems like really high.
1: It is high. Uh, a high-performing city in the lower 48 in the data that comes from the Census Bureau that I'm quoting from, um, it's a, a high performing city will lose maybe 20 to 22% of their 16 to 26 year olds. So
0: we're, we're like double that.
1: We are losing one out of three. They're losing one out of five.
0: Oh, we're double for the youth, the youth, but yeah. For the 16, mm-hmm. okay, so. yeah,
1: 16 to 26. And then on, on the youth side of it, I have not seen comparable data, but I have a sneaking suspicion that, I, you know, when you're, when we're losing over half. Uh, of just our Alaska-born kids, and I've got three generations of of Alaskans in my family. My wife was born here, my daughter and son were born in Alaska, and my grandchildren uh, were born uh, were born here. And you know, it it I man, what can I say? You know, we've we've committed to the state. I got more nieces and nephews. My brother lives here; he was born here. Uh, my sister, while unfortunately, was born in California. Well. Glad she was born, but uh, well, that's that story that yeah. came out years ago, right? No, the, this is this is my young this is my youngest sister. Um, she was uh, born in California um, um, from my parents um, when we were stationed down there right after we were okay. first posting in Alaska. No, my long lost sister. She was. I, I lost her the day that she was born. Two years after, um, and that's a long story that we
0: don't have enough time for. Yeah, I think the, there yeah. was a big thing in the eighty years ago that, that we wanted to tell that story. Yeah, yeah we was, lost her
1: for fifty years. She was. She's my younger sister, and she was given up for adoption. And if you want to know that story, just go to the Anchorage Daily News and search in their archives. My name and Brandy, which is the name of my sister. Yeah, that was a big story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Bill, it's great having you on. I think great discussion. Um, you've obviously you're very versed in the issues of Anchorage cause you were doing ADC for 16 years. So um, I think it's going to be a really, I mean, I think more, I think more people are going to get in. I, I think some of them are going to be these kind of no, no money, you know, just names, but they, they, they always suck in a few percent, you know, so that can um, actually matter sometimes depending on how, how it's close. A potential.
1: It's a potential. I, you know, it's, I'm, I take, you know, I will tell you this, my motto is you always run like you're behind period when you're running for election. You always that, we had run 12 for vote, behind. Yeah, that 12-vote thing. So. That was a good hard lesson, you know, to make sure you don't take anything for granted. And my view is is that I need to meet a lot of people. I want to have a lot of conversations with folks. Um, I'm going to be spending as much time as I can getting out in, in any number of different settings, trying to have input from people so that I understand clearly where people are coming from in terms of where they want the city to be in 10 years. So I'll just leave your listeners with this. Where do you want to be in 10 years? And the next time you see me or hunt me down or go to our website and send me a comment, where do you want to see Anchorage in 10 years? What do you want? What do you want this city to be? You know, and you give me one word, you give me a hundred words. I'd love it.
0: Yeah, no, I think going back to the beginning about the vision, there's just, I I think people have their ideas about that, but, but there's not, I mean, a leader is somebody who's telling you here's, you know, let let me lead. Let me, let me take us to a better place. And if I, if I am successful in
1: getting everything that I want to get done in my six years, I will likely get any number of projects and any number of initiatives in motion. And I will not cut a ribbon on any
0: of them. I got to ask you one more thing. Mm -hmm. I forgot. Uh, Kabata bridge. Mm -hmm. I'm a big, I don't know if you, Mm -hmm. big guy on the bridge, which I think Mm -hmm. should have been built a decade ago. Mm -hmm. What do you think about, I mean, I don't know if you're, I got that. other projects that are ahead of that one. Oh, that's the, that's the, that's the, yeah. that's the, that's, going to bail us out for the housing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I want to keep the
1: tax base here in Anchorage. So, you know, cause that, that's my, that's, that's my what deal. a lot of people, that's what they yeah. say.
0: They, they lose, you know, people leave and it's a match yeah. over there, but you know, there's, there's, why don't we just annex it? I mean, can, well. we, can we? That's a boundary commission. Is that a boundary commission thing? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a boundary commission thing, Jeff. That's a big lift. Uh, that could be a lot of fun to have that conversation. It's like Crimea, Crimea style. We just move yeah. in and we just say,
0: that's our little, yeah, you know, that, little peninsula.
1: That's going to be somebody with a lot more time than I would have as mayor to take on. <laughs> you can I mean, If you
0: win, you can make me the the Kibata czar.
1: There we go. Okay, there we go. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll take that. We'll, we'll talk about that, Jeff. We'll see. Okay. Well, Bill Popper for Anchorage mayor, and what is it? Pop for Anchorage.
1: Pop for Anchorage. dot com.
0: Okay. And, uh, and there's
1: two p's on pop. P O P P for Anchorage. dot com.
0: Okay. Great. Great talking to you, Bill. I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure we're going to be seeing more of you on the campaign trail. So
1: you're going to see a lot of me. Thank Thanks you, Jeff, again. for the time.
0: Yep, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Land love.